mai te kore ki te pō ki te ao marama. E aku rau rangatira mā tēnei te mihi atu ki a koutou kato, ko Maraia Rakuraku i tēnei, ko Justin Murray tēnei, ko te hōtaka tēnei o Te Ahikā. Kia ora tātou katoa. Welcome to Radio New Zealand's Māori Features Programme. And your very first post-election Te Ahikā. We traverse Aotearoa this week here te iwi from Bluff to Kahununu country. A windfall in terms of a study scholarship will help student Wayana Jones, a young mum, fulfil her artistic dreams. Most of my work um, is done on the computer, so it's using um, programmes such as 3D Max to um, build digital designing. Um, but I do uh, research in uh harakiki raranga weaving so that's sort of like um, different areas yeah different areas of research Tamahuata is hoping kahununu iwi hear the karanga and return home this week for a festival celebrating descendants of Takitimu Waka It's a celebration of our history in Whakapapa and so our oral traditions is one of those areas so we have our wānanga and each of the areas of Takitimu uh, will be featured in our wānanga. From Waka to Marae, we mark the return of our normal scheduling with the return of Nā Marae o Te Motu. That's where we profile Marae of Aotearoa and we kick off with our most southern-based Marae, Awarua. And each of our walls has got different themes. Um, trying to tell the story of um, Naitahu history, of Māori history. Wayana Jones is a student at AUT, the Auckland University of Technology, in the Spatial Honours Programme. Meaning she creates three-dimensional visual images on the computer referencing whakapapa. I was with Wayana Jones on the day of Ngā Taonga Toi a Te Wakatoi. Ko tai tātou ki ngā karahipi a Te Wakatoi. Ka tīmata mai i a tēnei uri o te arawa o te aupauri Ko Wayana Jones. Kia ora, ko Wayana Jones tokingwa, uh, no te aroa me te, te aupauri, uh, tuhaurangi, ngātikahu, ngātikuri, ahau. Ai, kia ora tātou. Uh, I'm receiving the Ngākarahipi o Te Wakatoi Scholarship. I understand that you're at AUT? Uh, yes, that's correct. I'm uh, studying in the uh, Bachelor of Art and Design Spatial Design Honours year, so that's my postgraduate year. Um, yeah, so that's what I'm doing this year at AUT. And so what's the inspiration and uh, the, the tikanga of your, of your work at AUT? My philosophy has always been about uh, kaupapa Māori and tikanga Māori. Uh, this year I'm focusing primarily on uh, whakapapa, so a lot of my work has a lot to do with whakapapa, uh, genealogical structures, uh, things like that, and in relation to land. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm focusing on this year. I mean, to me, who, who's not an artist at all, it sounds quite, quite formal for, for such a young person like yourself. Like, have you always been um, intrigued by, by Māori art as a, as a kid, as a tamariki? Tell us about your growing up. Uh, yes, um, as a child I've always drawn. I've, I've always loved drawing and I've always loved doing art in high school. So um, I think uh, following on from high school and doing a um, bachelor in spatial design, I mean spatial design mainly specialises in uh, like architecture, interior designing and um, digital design and architecture. So that's what I'm sort of doing at the moment but with a Māori sort of um, 
process and Māori concept. So most of my work um, is done on the computer, so it's using um, programs such as 3D Max to um, build digital designing. Um, but I do uh, research in uh, harakiki and raranga weaving, so that's sort of like um, different areas. Yeah, different areas of research. Um, yeah. Wow. And, and, and is it a challenge? How, how many years of study have you done so far? Um, uh, from high school, I did a uh, one-year certificate course in art and design. Then after that, I went, so that was a certificate in art and design. Then I did the uh, Bachelor of Spatial Design. That was three years. And this year, I'm doing my honours year, which is a one-year um, intensive postgraduate uh, year. And then after that, I'm either going to go out into industry or <laughs> or I will... Um, I'm considering doing my PhD. So that's another three years as well. And you're a mummy. I'm a mum, yes. I'm um, 24, so in my third year in the uh, Bachelor of uh, Spatial Design, in my third and final year, I fell hapu. And um, a month after my exhibition, I uh, had her. So, yes, so now she's 20 months old now. Since, since becoming a mum, have, has your work at all been inspired by, by being a, a young mum at all? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, in my undergrad year, I was mainly focusing on, you know, uh, I was looking at this idea of um, the treaty and challenges and things like that. And Whereas this year, I'm looking at Whakapapa, and my goal is that my daughter, she'll be able to, you know, go out into the world and she'll know her Whakapapa, know where she's from. And, um, yeah, it, it really has, definitely. Kawana Jones talking wa, noti arua me te opuria hau. Himihi poto tene kia koto mai ite toi a te arua me te waka toi. Aroha mai me huria hau iroti te reo pakia, ake te mohi o tata katoa me a hau ki taka korero. Good evening. Uh, as I said, my name is Wayana Jones. I'd just like to take this opportunity to thank Creative New Zealand and uh, the members of Creative New Zealand and also uh, Te Waka Toi and the members of Te Waka Toi as well and to Tudatuta um, as well. Um, I'm really nervous. <laughs> uh, I'm first up, so it's really hard. <laughs> um, this year I'm uh, studying at uh, AUT University, so I'd like to acknowledge AUT University as well. Um, I'm studying in the uh, Bachelor of Art and Design Honours Year, so that's a postgraduate year in Spatial Design. Um, uh, and um, so I'd just like to thank my tutors there at AUT University, so that's Sue Gallagher, Albert Rafiti, and Alvin Young as well. Um, most importantly, I'd like to uh, thank all my whānau who have come down from uh, Tamaki Makoto. So to my parents, uh, to my auntie, to my younger brother, and uh, also to my partner, Leslie, who's come down as well. Um, so, yeah, and I'd also uh, like to uh, take this opportunity also to um, acknowledge um, a da my daughter, who... Um, very much influences my work and um, she's a huge inspiration to me and my work this year has been dealing with uh, the notion of whakapapa in terms of um, site and architecture, digital architecture. So um, I, I hope that she and, um, can, I guess, um, I, I want her to be able to go out there into the world and um, be proud of who she is and know her whakapapa. So that's 
the drive of why I'm studying and why I continue on to study is, is for her and for my whānau and my tūpuna. So, uh, nō reira, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou a tēnā nō tātou katoa. Wayana Jones receiving a study scholarship from Te Wakatoi, which brings our coverage of Nga Taonga Toi Ao Te Wakatoi 2008 to a close. I'm Mariah Rakuraku. And I'm Justin Murray. And at our website, radionz.co.nz forward slash tiahika, you can re-listen to past programmes where we have profiled all recipients in the 2008 Nga Taonga Toi Ao Te Wakatoi. Aira, it's that time again where you can learn kupu hau. Wayana Jones was awarded He Karahipi a scholarship, Karahipi Scholarship. Today we profile Awarua Marae and you'll hear a couple of words. Whare nui literally means big house, but it can also be a whare moi, sleeping house, a whare tupuna or ancestral house. Similar to kai from a few weeks ago, denoting the role of the verb it precedes, like kai kāranga, kāranga to call, kai kāranga, caller, and kōrero to speak, to talk, so kai kōrero, speaker. Now what's so beautiful about te reo Māori is that the rule applies to other things too. So whare means house, right? And all those words nui, moi and tupuna speak to the role of the house. So a single building can be called all of those things because it does all of those things. So then Mariah, kai is food and whare is house, so whare kai is a kai house. And what's a kai house? Well, it's somewhere to eat. It's like a dining room. Aira, tikatai. That's right, Justine. So can a whare moi be a whare kai marae? Uh, not, not necessarily, eh, because there are issues around tikana. A whare kai and a whare moi tend to be separate buildings. But that wasn't always the case, though, eh? I mean, our people being forever practical, at times the buildings were one and the same. But then they weren't known as whare moi, whare tupuna, just whare. Aira. Festival, as in the Takitumu Festival next week, is Ra Whakangaho, or it can also be called Te Hui Ahurei. Komatu te wāhanga o Nākupuhau, new words to learn. And a full list of the words and meanings can be accessed by logging onto our website, radionz.co.nz forward slash tiahika. Recently, Justine and I spent the better part of a week in Kaitahu country. We visited locals and toured some marae, including the most southern-based one, Awarua Bluff. For me, this visit was incredible. It was my first time to Bluff, and it really did feel like the end of the earth. It was freezing, though everyone told me it was actually a fantastically warm day. You're yeah, right. Kia ora. Ko Dean Whangaho, no Motopohue. So, yeah, I'm Dean from Bluff, and uh, this is our marae here at, uh, on the Bluff. And its name of our marae is... Aroha, and it's named after um, the... Is that uh, bus? Yeah, that's right. It was the bus that the um, 28th Māori Battalion... Oh, no, the Pioneer Ballast. Yeah, the Pioneer Pioneer Māori Battalion's bus, um, Te Aroha, yeah. And we've got a... The relationship is with a family here that married to a a Te Aroha family, and um, their mum come and live down amongst us, and all their children are living in the bluff now. So there's that's significant, sort of quite significant in terms of uh, our relationships with other iwi and why other iwi come down into Bluff with all the different types of jobs that were on offer in the 50s, 60s and 70s and all that sort of stuff. So a lot of people come down south for a job and work. So if it was um, named after that bus, this isn't a this isn't an old par site. Bluffs, Bluffs called the Taurapa or Tawaka or 
Auraki. Now, that's, it's, it's an old, old name. It talks about the, the waka, the South Island being a waka, and the Taurapa being the, the, the back car piece of the waka. So this is a really old name. And, um, and a lot, it's a very old place where people have lived and, um, and um, sourced food, mahinga kai and all that sort of stuff. But um, there is sort of archaeological remains closer towards the, the entrance to Bluff where there was an old village. But in terms of this being a, the old par site um, for the people here in the Bluff, no, it's not. It's, it's probably 100 years old. The people moved into Bluff. Uh, the iwi moved into Bluff. When they, the the iwi or the uh, Pākehā people come from all around the world to do their... Uh, to seek the resources of this world, like the whales and the seals and all that sort of stuff, they ventured way out into the into the Pacific, and um, they, they found that there was a, a big rookeries and supplies of seals, and, and the whales all swam past here, and so a lot of them come down here and set up bases, and um, as a result of that, of course, some of them married into the local girls. Now, because Bluff has got a, it's got quite a safe port. So this was one of the first places that the, some of the whale boats come into, and sealing boats, and um, and set up set up their bases here in the bluff because of its safe port. And from there, because uh, they um, the European I wouldn't say European, but the Tawiwi people uh, or the contact people as we call them down here, uh, set up their base here, and the Māori people were doing trading uh, from their their traditional villages at Ruapuki. And um, and a Maui, which is some villages pretty close to here, a real Pukis and Island just off the coast here, and Stuart Island, um, they were doing trading with the the people, and they come into Bluff because that's where all the boats were coming to, and they started all moving into uh, to the Pakeha settlements and living living alongside them, and moved away from their traditional settlements, and from that stage they set up um, the the some some marae for them to meet at, but th- we never had a meeting house as such. Until 2003, when we built this this alfari here. Uh, but before that, we used this the old house over here called Tarariki Fenauta, which is based on an old name um, of Tamatia Pokai Fenua. Tamatia Pokai Fenua come down here, and uh, when he brought the Takitemu canoe across. Now there's an old kōrero about whether. Um, Tamatea tamate the first or Tamatea the second but Tamatea Pōkai Whenua and a lot of Whakapapa uh, is um, the son of or the grandson of Tamatea Ariki Nui from oh. the Tāakitema Waka so so the stories differ but um, this is Tamatea Pōkai Whenua this is the old house called Tariki Whenua and it's there that our old people used to meet and gather and it's where they uh, together before they would make their uh, trips down to the Mountain Bird Island, so some of our whānau from further up the island would come down and they would live in this house and stay in this house while they were in transition to get across to the Mountain Bird Islands. And also a place where our people met and How sung. far away are those islands? And some be, some would be about 20 kilometres across Fovo Strait or Te Arakiwa just out here. And some of them are down a lot further down one side, the eastern side. And a majority of them are right down the southeast cape, which is right down the bottom of um, Stuart Island or Rakiura. So, they, so that's our Tariki Whenuta. So that was the old place. But we had a, an old hall in Bluff called the, the Waitaha Hall that was used for meeting and um, kapahaka and all that sort of. And it got burnt down. Um, I'm not quite, I can't remember when, the 70s probably, and sometime in the 70s. 
And when that was built down, they decided they would come up and build the Farikai up here, which sits on the hill here, uh, beside the old uh, Tariki Fena Uta. Mm-hmm. So this is Māori Reserve land. And uh, so they bought the block up the back here and built their, our Farikai. Our Farikai has never been decorated until we built our Farinui sitting up here. And when and was the, the Farinui built? The Farinui was built uh, between uh, 2000 and 2003. And... Um, and that's when we also decorated our, our Farinui. Now the Farinui, uh, not the Farinui, the Farikai. Um, and it's always been named Te Rau Aroha, and the Marae sort of got that name attached to it as well. So our Farikai is Te Rau Aroha, and so is our um, Marae itself. And then we decorated our Marae as we were trying to learn, you know, learn some of these um, arts of our tūpuna, and that's called Whaiwhai and Tukutuku and uh, Whakaero and all that. So... We were quite fortunate in that at the time. Um, we got Cliff Whiting off the whanau up and oh, yeah. um, he had been speaking at the time. There was a, there was a whole lot of um, our people um, from throughout the Te Waipaunamu that were interested in, especially the, the, the Ngāti Kuri people from Kaikoura mm-hmm. and, other, and other older people uh, of our, of our um, uh, koro and uh, kuia. They were interested because uh, the claims were at the same sort of time too, and looking at all the claims and all that, uh, to getting our Farinui culture, um, looking at our Farinui culture and build, rebuilding our Farinui Yeah, rebuilding our Farinui, having Farinui on our papakaiing and all that sort of stuff on our marae. And um, Kaikoura people, they, they, they built, they were, so they decided to build their one up there. And, and that's Takahanga. And that's Takahanga. And. Uh, Cliff was involved there with the with the people up there and, and helping out there. And at that time, uh, someone down here asked if um, he would come down when we would decide to do ours. So uh, we were fortunate enough that Cliff um, had come down and um, and showed us how to um, do all this art and uh, tūpuna culture that you see here today as part of our Marae complex. So we're walking up the pathway here, and on the right-hand side is the... That's Tarariki Whenauta, the old house, the old Māori house, they, they call it down here in the bluff. <laughs> and then on the left-hand side there, we can see the Farekai. That's the Farekai, Te Rau Aroha. Now we're heading up this pathway, and I'm telling you, I've never seen a whare like this before. It's, well, as you just look on the, on the pathway here, we, we've put designs in all of our paths and cobbles and all that sort of stuff, and you can see this, the kaukau pattern... And what it's what we Cliff uh, tried to, and the people um, tempted to do was get the kaukau, which sort of pulls us up and points us in the direction Aye. of our vertigo. So you can see it coming around. And as you get onto the Murai art here, you'll see the kaukau pattern pointing in towards Aye. the house and welcoming people as well, welcoming people into our whare. And then you can see reflected on our mahi, we have three mahi here. With three uh, tickle tickle and three koruru representing the three strands of the Naitahu Whanui, being the Waitaha people, the Ngati Mamoi people, and the Naitahu people. Right. So. That's an unusual entrance, though. Yeah, well, it's. Um, you know, I suppose you, you might say that. It's still based around the traditional uh, arms, as you know, the arms of the Tupuna Whare. Right. Um, and the face of the Tupuna Whare. 
and we're trying to reflect it on that, the shape of our fare, which of course is not the traditional uh, rectangular tūpuna shape. Mm. Ours is based on a concept of the farido, which uh, traditional houses um, that, and some of the last examples of those traditional houses were on the Martinbird Islands. And, and what it is is um, um, rako or, or branches of trees and all that that were brought up to a peak. And then we have kahul going around the outside, that, or battens that would go around the outside of these fares, and then they would put all the uh, rodo or the leaves uh, and all the thatching on the side of it. And, some, and that's what uh, some of the last examples of those houses were seen on the Martinford Island. So you can sort of see that, although it's probably 10, 20 times bigger than what the traditional houses would have been, uh, it's symbolic of um, those, those old houses. So our house is actually a whare row. Whare row. Uh, yeah, or a house made of, the, of thatching or grasses. It's also a funny tūpuna because we've named it after our ancestor Tahu Bōtiki. And um, so as we sort of come up to our, the entrance of our whare, um the first figure that we see uh, as our kōruru of our, of our whare is uh, Tahu Bōtiki with his tūpuna uenuku on top. Um, so that's that naitahu strand of our whakapapa. And in the middle we have our ngati mamoi whakapapa mm-hmm. with hōtu mamoi and uh, tamatea uh, pōkai whenua there. And on our very top uh, maihi is um, auraki, the tūpuna auraki. And of course that's, um, to some people, it's also got a dual name, is uh, Mount Cook. And he is right at the very pinnacle of our house. And the kōruru underneath him is Waitaha Nui. Of that uh, Waitaha, Waitaha uh, iwi or strand of our whakapapa. So we're heading up to our into our whare now, and and as we walk under the pare, our pare is represented by three atua that helped uh, form the South Island uh, in the traditional uh, corridor that uh, South Island was once a waka and it capsized, and then it was pretty bland because it was the underside of a waka and, and very smooth and it was the atua that uh, carved and fashioned Papatuanuku into all the lovely landscapes that we see on our land today. So that we, we go under, as we go past through our door, traditionally you might pass under the uh, under the kōrawai of uh, wahine mm. and at this, our, our, ours is the first wahine which is Hini uh, Nui Otapo or um, uh, uh, this is her, Hinititama. Hmm. Plus two atua of uh, Kahukura and Marukura. So, hmm. And uh, our house is fairly interesting in that most of our male chiefs are represented on the outside of our, on our um, Amo. So these are our chiefs here, uh, our main line of chiefs on our Amo here. And um, we've got other whānau, uh, Rangatira out here a little bit further under our veranda. So our main fighting chiefs or our main uh, famous chiefs are sitting out here at the front. And we've got some just in behind the door here as well. All named as, um, and uh, for, for their feats and um, their histories for us. So we go into our Farinui and um, eight Eight-sided, and, and the reason being that um, 
for that to um, give us an idea of uh, the Farido concept again. And each of our walls has got different themes. Um, trying to tell the story of um, Naitahu history, of Māori history, where we've come from, from Te Kore, Ki Te Pō, Ki Te Ao, and where we're going into Te Ao Marama. So that, these themes are represented in this house and all our whakapapa. So the way the whare is shaped, which side is for Manuhiri and which side is for mana whenua? This side over here to our left, as we come in the door, this is the, the, the tangata whenua the side. Whenua. Right. And on our, our right-hand right side here is the um, Manuhiri. And um, our tuara of the whare is right down here to our back wall. Now our back wall is where we, uh, when we have our tangi that we send out, we, we place our tupapaku or our whānau members down there. So, but uh, in terms of when we have our pōhiri, we just have it up this side. Uh, but, and, but it changes, tikanga changes when we're doing a, um, doing a mate or a tangihanga. How does it change? We send the paipai down the back so that we, we make sure that uh, we, we're looking at the, the kaupapa or the rāne, you know, We want to make sure that that's the reason why we've come here, is, our, um, is the mihi atu ke, um, ki te whānau e, e hinga, you know, to, to mm. the ones that have passed. We, we, well, that's the focus of, the, of, the, um, of us gathering, so we need to be seeing it. Because as you can see, it's, uh, we've got this big po right in the very middle, and if we have our paipai set up here, it's a little bit difficult so to... So there's a pautoko manoa there? Yeah, a pautoko manoa. And, I mean... <laughs> I'm a little bit blown away at the moment because I've never ever seen a whare like this before and it's really quite arresting <laughs> as you walk in the front door. Now the Pautoko Manoa has a toru, toku, toku, oh, yeah. Yes. First of all, you can see the concept and all the concepts and the, um, and the stories and the, and the colours and the carving styles were taught to us um, by, by Cliff. So we're, we're so fortunate to have such a rangatira, a tohunga, to come down and, and to pass on his, his knowledge and skills to us. And that was really what it was about, um, passing on skills so that we can then gain them and we can then pass them on again. So... Um, there's people here that have these skills now and hopefully they'll keep passing them on and I think that was the fantastic thing about working on a project like this with Cliff that we all learned something and we've um, made these uh, made these whakaero, um these tukutuku panels and these kofaiwhais to tell our story and he always said that it's not what it looks like as such, it's the kōrero in behind it, your whakapapa your hitori and all that sort of stuff so you know, you, 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 when you first look at it, it's a, it could, you know, it's qu- could be quite special when you first look at it. But what you need to, when you you want to delve deeper, once you've you, and know what the stories are about, eventually, and that's the, uh, yeah, that's the deepest one. You can see lots of daughter. Oh. Yeah, well, that's a, was was a theme right throughout the house. Um, our house is based on the relationships of Māori and Pākehā in a, at the contact period 
and we talked about the whaling and the, uh, the sealing and why the people came here and they married these ladies. A lot of these ladies have um, Pākehā husbands and then from them come their descendants and a lot of us are from these people, from so a mixture of um, the, uh, a, whaler, a whaler and a, a Māori lady. So you're talking about the popo? Yeah, I'm talking about the popo. Uh, our house is, um, our popo are wahine. All these popo are wahine, the big ones. And even the ones up a little bit higher. We've got them all sitting at the same, the heads are, some of them are smaller, but the heads are sitting at the same height with equal status. So what we tried to do was, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of ladies and a lot of um, tāne out there at the time. Um, that we could have used in terms of whakapapa here, but we but there was that many. We just tried to make sure that at least, if you whakapapa in the house, at least you might have one one of your tūpuna in here. So these ladies are 1830s ladies. They're around, they were here about the 1830s, living. Hmm. Either they were either born in the area, they lived in the area, or, or, or passed away in this area. If you want to hear more about those ladies, there's eight of them. Join Marae and Dean Fanga again next week as they continue a tour of the Whare Tupuna and Marae Complex at Awarua Pa Bluff. And there are photos on our website, radionz.co.nz forward slash tiahika. Rawinia Paku no Nasikahununu is a female Māori bodybuilder. This is one wahine committed to getting Māori bums off couches and onto pavements, and if they feel inclined, into bikinis and onto stages. Becoming a mum in her teenage years didn't deter her, and Paku found encouragement from her peers spurred on her desire to get buff and take up the sport. Would you describe yourself as a bodybuilder? Like, Definitely. Yeah, yeah, that's the correct term. Yes. Yep. Okay, and how long have you been doing it for? Where did it all begin? Okay, so I've been... Yeah, actively training for 12 years and competing probably for the same amount of time. And it all started back in Lower Hutt, where I just trained casually and a couple of guys said to me, you, have you ever thought about doing a show? And I thought, no. And um, just thought about it and here I am today. Rawinia Paku no Ngāti Kahunganu, who was a young mum and now is a successful businesswoman, talks about her journey in the male-dominated sport of bodybuilding. Kia ora, ko rawanea ahau, ko take timu te waka, ko whakapuna ke te maunga, ko te wairoho pūpū hongi mā tangirau te awa, ko ngāti kahanunu te iwi, ko te kāpua matatoru te hapu. Nō wairoa ahau, ingari, ko uh, Karihana Bay, taku kainga nai nei. Kia ora. So what triggered off that, oh, I think I'll be a bodybuilder? Um, nothing actually triggered it off, it's just, I suppose... I was never, uh, uh, I never fitted into the mainstream at all well when I was younger. Found the gym, which helped me make some great changes in my life. And then was just training, enjoyed being strong, enjoyed just being at the gym, enjoyed the people there, totally different environment for me. And I'd always played sports and they just, yeah, I don't know, just something, something clicked and it was like bodybuilding and round matched. So there I was. Bodybuilding can conjure up a few thoughts, bulging biceps, spray tan, six-pack abs, and for Rawinia, it's about perseverance. And it's pretty full-on in competition mode. OK, so first comp, I was addicted, and it, it's taken me... Like, people look at my physique, and because there's a lot of drugs and a lot of sports, people look at my physique and um, question my, my naturalness. And I just look at them to the ones that have got 
the balls to say it to my face. I just say, I've been training for 12 years and competing for 12 years. My best gains were after my first show. I competed at 51.9 kilos, my first show, and jumped within a week up to 70 kilos. And that wasn't all muscle. You can't do that sort of muscle growth, but that's just over the first three months after my first show, I put on quite a bit of my size, and then it just progressively over the years. And it's taken me... It was probably 2000, actually I'd have to look at my CV, but the year I got selected for the Asia Pacifics for the New Zealand team was probably the year that I thought, oh my God, someone thinks I'm good enough. Because I haven't got that confidence, even today. I competed last week and I won overalls and people are coming to me, you look amazing, I'm still, I'm still quite critical of, my, of myself. I'm always trying to aspire trying to, for something yeah. more, so I only see my weaknesses. So it's quite hard for me just to take a step back and say, you look great, yeah. enjoy the win, fantastic. But it was probably that year that I realised, okay, someone believes in me, I need to start believing in myself and I need to start pushing, pushing myself. So, um, so with, I didn't win that year and I know that my, my biggest um, problem was the Kai. I mean, I think being Māori is I mean, a handicap. Well, yes, it is a weakness. <laughs> you know, because my fiancé, he's, he's Pākehā and he just has not got the same desire for food as what we have and... You know, the family comes around and the first thing you're doing is fridge. You know, you know we've got to have a kai. And it's just, it, it is hard. But I've learned alternatives and, and different food to present now. And it still tastes great. And, I've, and even great. my friends, yeah, even my friends are like, I need the recipe for that. I need the recipe for this. <laughs> yeah, but I would say that selection was when I decided, okay, let's make the commitment to keep moving forward. And then this year, this year is going to be it. This is when I go pro. And it's wow. for, a, for a natural federation. Um, they're the only federation in the world that tests every athlete, so you can guarantee that you've got a level square playing field. Um, their criteria is seven years drug-free from any hard steroids and then different year criteria for um, softer stuff. Mm-hmm. And even some off-the-shelf products are banned because of some of the ingredients and in it can still provide a competitive advantage, so you've got to be quite careful about wow. the stuff that you, that you take off the shelf. Yeah, so um, that's the goal for this year. I'll compete here, then we're off to New York in November, regardless of the pro card or not, and um, hopefully complete as a pro and then hit the American circuit next year. And it's been really hard because, like, like, I love your programme because you are focusing in on the sports that don't get all the profiling, and we have got some champions in New Zealand and no-one knows it. Mm. We have got one, two, three, four, maybe five, half a dozen world universe champions and... No one knows. So let's talk about your whānau. Where were you um, born, brought up? Um, do you spend, did you spend time on the marae when you were young, when you were rangatahi or growing up? Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, so I was born in Cromwell in the Deep South. My father's from Wairua and my mother was from Dunedin. And um, Dad's, Dad's mother went back down to Dunedin and, and met my mother. And I was born in Cromwell and Dad was on the railways for all his life, so they travelled around all the time and... I, I was born in Cromwell, stayed there for about a year, then we moved to back to Whitehall, and we were there till I was about four. I got two older brother, an older brother and an older sister. They went to school in Whitehall for a little while. Then we moved to Napier, that's where I started school, and this was just because Dad transferred with the railways. Yeah. Then we went to Petone, and we stayed there for a few years, and then my mum and dad bought a house, and the only place they could afford to buy was Wainui Omata over the hill. So we <laughs> shot over the hill, and... Yes, yeah, so I spent my teenage life there and um, got it. Wainui is a great place, but I got out of there as soon as I could. It wasn't a good place for me to be in, so 
Yeah. yeah. So you're a Wellington girl through and through. Yeah, really. practically. I, I always went home right up until I was about 13 or 14. I always went back to Wairua and stayed with my nan. And, um, yeah, it's sort of 12, 13 different things started to happen in my life and I just lost contact with my nan. Yeah, mm. so that was quite sad. And so when did it become competitive? Yeah, it would have been... I, I was training at the gym for about a year and when the guys mentioned it, I thought about it and I just thought, OK, I'll give it a go. Which was really hard because I had two children quite young and so I had stretch marks and no breasts and all that sort of female stuff. I was very conscious about my body, always sort of didn't like to expose it. So it, it was a hard choice in the beginning. And... Um, but I, but I got up there and I shook like a leaf on my first show and I was very small and um, I got second though, which was really good. And it was just great. It was, both, it was great for me and my whanau, I suppose, because I was a single mother bringing up my children on my own and it was just a healthy, I thought, role model to portray to my kids. So, so, yeah. so you were a, a young mum, as you said before, with two kids. Um, what what's then a single mum at that? Yeah. Was bodybuilding a way to get some sort of like, yeah, man, I'm going to do this for me and... Definitely. I think um, for me and the way that my life was, I've got quite an addictive behaviour. And um, when, through my teenage years, I was addicted to the wrong types of things. And um, when I found the gym, I always knew there was something better in life. And I, and I blame myself for the way that my life was before I found the gym. But once I found it, it was just so empowering, I suppose, empowering and I just saw the transformations in my life and the people around me, the people that I was attracting back into my life, it just changed my whole facado on how things could be. So I, after my show, I sort of actually started going back to school because I dropped out quite oh, young. Oh, wow, so it had a flow-on effect. Yeah, yeah, so I, I, I went back to school, I got my certificate in exercise science, got offered a job at the gym that I trained in, and that got me thinking again because I thought, well, actually, I don't want to work for someone for the rest of my life, I want to be working for myself. So then I went back, my mum had moved to um, Himatangi and um, I said to her, things were just still a little bit, you know, the old life was still creeping in so I thought, I've got to get out of here, I've got to get out of Wellington for a bit. So I shot off up to Himatangi and I thought, well, while I'm up there, I might as well do some more studies. And so I went to Te Wānau Araukawa, oh, went, cool. went and enrolled there for a year and did Mātauranga Māori and I thought, well, maybe I should do some English studies as well. So I went back to Massey and I dropped out of school when I was like 13, 14. And so I went and saw one of the educators there and they said, I told them I was doing the studies at Wana. I had, had not been to school for many a year. Would I be able to do full-time studies at, at Massey as well? And they said, yeah, you'll, you'll handle it, not a problem. And I didn't handle it, but it was just lucky that the Māori kaupapa was no one fails, you can always come back and complete. Mm. So I completed most of the course, but didn't, not all, all of my assignments. So I stayed with, for the for the uh, Marae and the, the kōrero, but didn't complete my studies, but it is something I do want to do. <laughs> yeah, so it just, it just enlightened my life. And that's the thing I'm passionate about, is I just want to share that experience with mm. um, other, especially young Māori and Polynesian women. I've been invited to go and speak to some a group out in Purirua, the Waka nice. Ama group there. Oh, okay. Just go and talk to those wahine there, those young rangatahi there about, about my bodybuilding, and if I can just help one or just... No, do something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, you talked about your teenage son just earlier. Um, how have have your boy and how have they been in terms of? Wow, mum. Yeah. <laughs> like, especially your girl. How old's your your, your she's, daughter? She's twenty. She's twenty one in February. Oh yeah. my goodness! So like, <laughs> <laughs> every 
everybody freaks out. Yeah, so she's 21. I got a 21st in February, and my son's 19. Yeah. Does she share your clothes, or do you go, "Oh, mum, you're looking hot"? And does she no, not at all. <laughs> my daughter and I like chalk and cheese. It's oh. totally different. <laughs> I don't think she'd borrow my clothes. Not that I'd mind, but um, yeah, no, no, no funny stories like that there. But yeah, they um. That they've they've really enjoyed watching me grow, and I've enjoyed watching them grow. And it, and it's quite difficult for us at times because my my daughter's quite a party animal. Actually, yeah. she's a, she likes to party. You know, she's a typical teenager. And when I was a teenager, I had babies. I didn't you know have yeah. that sort of freedom. So it, it's been quite hard. And she eats junk food like you could not imagine. And my son, he eats quite well, and he plays league, plays rugby, keeps fit. So him and I, when it comes to that sort of thing, we get you know there's no tension there. But my daughter comes home, and it's like. You shouldn't be eating that. You shouldn't be. You need to get up. You need to get up. She'll sleep till two o'clock. So that's where we have our funny stories. So let's let's go back to Kai. Hey, <laughs> yeah. Tell me on average. I mean, obviously, you know these these egg whites. So I don't know the diet of a typical bodybuilder, but let, let's talk us through that. Okay. So pr- there's different phases, of course. So in the off season, you can sort of vary and and lax up a little bit more. With the, um, depending on your goal, with my goal, we've changed. I mean, in the off-season, I just used to eat normal, which it was just too hard to get into shape when you started to, to, to look at a show. So we keep our diet pretty clean. I mean, you look in our fridge, we've got a box of chicken breast, yep. um, frozen veggies, potatoes, kermita and oats is practically it. So I've got my teenage son's just come home. He opens the fridge. He's like, the fridge is empty. I'm like, no, there's food in there, son. It's just good food. So... Um, but he's, he's really good. He, he eats what we eat. So, so it's pretty clean, closer to competition, especially for females, it's a lot harder. Yeah. I mean, um, my fiancé, he competes in the over 90k category, so he can eat quite a lot, whereas the last two weeks, well, the, this week I've had maybe five cups of beans, egg whites and chicken, and that's it. Yeah, wow. So it's, and your body, my body's adjusted because yeah, I've kept it in the... Yeah, 12 years, I mean. Yeah, so I've kept it and keeping it pretty clean in the off-season. I'm not craving anything, whereas the years before you'd be craving all the sweets and breads, especially the breads, you know, but it's about sacrifice and, and you just got to think about what, what is that doing to your body. That's what it's about. Yeah. If I eat that, is it really worth it? Nah. Fine. Nah. Do you drink coffee? Heaps of coffee, yeah. yeah. Three cups a day, it's fine. Coffee is good. People at work, good. Yeah, coffee's good. People, people say, oh, coffee's bad for you, Ryan. It's like... No, research shows coffee's good. It's about everything's about moderation. Yeah. You know, everything's okay for you in moderation. You exceed it, that's when it gets bad. And I think that's what it's about, you know. Um, I've got my own personal training business as well as as being full time IT, but what I want to do is help young Māori and Polynesian women and over overweight women. I want to help women to educate them to do the little things because those little things can make such a difference. Whereas some people go to dietitians, to personal trainers, and they just get overwhelmed with all the stuff. And I, I, I take a different approach. I just um, find out the first thing is to get them. It's about recognition. Some people don't realise what they're putting, what they're eating. They don't realise um, the ill effects or the, well, what it's going to do to them. You know. So I just think once once you educate them and just say to them, you know, my. Sorry, sister, <laughs> but my sister's a prime example. You know, she will. She's, she's yo-yo dieted for years, and um, when she's when she's ready to diet, she'll bang. She'll diet hard, hard, hard. And I always say to her, sister, don't, don't, because I know that she'll Guilty. lose the weight. She'll yeah, she'll lose the weight, and then as soon as she's finished dieting, bang, it'll all go back on. So it's about making those little little changes 
So you change the habit, the bad habit, and then just progress from there. I just think that's the key. You know, you don't have to throw everything out of your pantry. You can keep the butter in if you want to, if that's your passion. You can keep bread in. It's just about moderation. It's all about moderation. You can have the kai, just moderate it. Yeah, because I mean, it, and you know, speaking personally, <laughs> it screws with your mind. Because you know, when you once you clean out the pantry and you're like, right, Here an hour goes. walk every day, it doesn't last. No. Within two or maybe eight days, it's yeah. like mm, failed yeah. back on the uh, bandwagon. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah and, it, and it's about accepting failure. You know, it's about that too. You know, you, you're going to do that. You're going to get on there and you're going to come off, but you're going to get on again. It's about getting back on again and just making a little, making it last a little bit longer and longer and longer. I have another mate that I've helped. We're trying to help. She's still going. I yeah. won't mention her name. No, no, no. That's but um, she, same thing. She was, she was going to Samoa. She wanted to lose some weight. Quite, quite overweight, and it, it's affecting her health now. And she's, she's come to. I realised that. And we tried to get her on, and she kept on coming off, coming off. And then she went to Samoa, got hot over there, couldn't handle the heat. She came home, I got an email, and she said, I'm back on. Sent me her stuff, rather than me trying to ring her and drive her. Sent me what she was doing, and she's going to give it a go. And that's what it's about, just trying to stick in there. Just keep going at it, one little thing at a time. Realise you don't have to change your whole world. Mm. You know, one thing at a time, one small thing. There's some things that we have in our own book of How to Diet 101. How many glasses of water, the dreaded carbs or no carbs? Rawania sets a few things straight. Okay, better to exercise in the morning or night? Morning. Yeah. Because Start burning the calories first thing in the morning. It'll give you the energy to go through the rest of the day. Yeah. Morning. Um, no carbs after 7pm? Yep. Yep. Or else it's just going to sit there and watch TV like you are. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cut so it no, out. I mean, you know, Māori people love their bread and butter yeah. with their steak meals. Yeah. Nah, no bread and butter, no bread and so butter. So before seven's okay, or what time would you suggest? Yeah. Um, if you're eating them after seven now and stop that, it's going to, it's going to, you, you'll start noticing differences. And you just won't get gluggy. All that stuff weighs you down. It just makes you feel tired and everything else. Mm. And if you're doing, cutting that out and then getting up in the morning and going for a walk, you'll feel the difference. Oh. Try it for a week, and if I'm wrong, Come and let me know. Yeah. <laughs> Eight glasses of water? I think I've got, I've got a different theory with the water thing. I think your body knows how much water you should take, and I think you should drink, you def, definitely drink a lot of water, but your body will tell you when you're drinking too much because you'll be visiting the toilet every hour. Mm. Yeah, so just drink at least, you know, at least one to two litres a day. They say two litres, you know, and that, that's a good, good standard, but... Just judge it, you know. Your yeah. body, just make sure you're getting more to run. What's your? Um, do you encourage more Māori, more Māori wahine to to join a gym like you have done, or to you know get some exercise in every day? Yeah, I, I think I think you've got to do what works for you. I mean, my my business body link is is out of the gym because I know there's a lot of women out there that one can't afford to go to the gym, two are a bit conscious about going to the gym, more self-conscious. So I think if any exercise is good exercise. You know, and you'll be surprised what a nice walk in the morning will do for you. And it's that whole thing. Once you, it's like, I don't want to do the washing, but as, as soon as you get out and chuck it in and get it out of the way, it's sweet. Same with, your, same with your exercise. Just get the shoes on, get out the door, start walking, and you're fine. Kia ora rawenia, no Ngāti Kaununu. How's that for a challenge, eh? Next week, a couple of thousand of Rawaniya's... And mine. ...relations will be gathering in Hiretaunga, Hastings for the Takitimu Festival. It's Kahu Ninja time. Pitched as the biggest pōhiri ever, Kahu Nunu from around the Motu will be welcomed home next Wednesday before practising what is being described as the biggest haka. Organiser Tamahuata tells us what else to expect. 
the Takitimu Festival to be held at the Waikoko Gardens at the Hawke's Bay Showgrounds in Hastings. What are some of the events that are going to be taking place during that time? Built on all the, uh, the strands of the arts and culture of the canoe. So what is significant about the Takitimu Festival, it's a celebration of bringing ourselves together as descendants of the Takitimu canoe. And that's from the islands uh, right through to New Zealand, from the Taitokero to Tauranga Moana to Tairawhiti, Ngāti Kahungunu and Ngaitau to the South Island. Those are the landing places of the waka with its origins in Samoa. And then a final uh, uh, departure from uh, Rarotonga uh, to Aotearoa. We're, we're bringing together all our all those descendants of of the waka in a celebration. Now the things this it's a celebration of our history in Whakapapa, and so our oral traditions is one of those areas. So we have our wānanga, and each of the areas of Takitimu uh, will be featured in our wānanga. So we can have the history of the canoe from Samoa, from Tahiti, from Fiji, uh, from Rarotonga, uh, and then all the history of the waka in Aotearoa from the different areas. We have our forums to discuss and to debate and put our history out in for economic developments, intellectual property, all those things to do with our history and our arts and culture. Then we're featuring each of the days features we bring together all the visual artists and in the in the exhibitions of their their work on the on the kopapa of Takitimu, uh, our weavers, our um, uh, carvers, uh, our waka people. Um, we have uh, five stages, and what we then feature in terms of performing arts are the best of our artists from all those areas. Uh, from uh, Samoa, from Fiji, from Tonga, uh, Tahiti, Rarotonga, Taitokero, and right through. And um, so each of those days will feature, like the history of our canoe, really. So uh, the opening pageant uh, on the Thursday evening, uh, we feature the artists of Ngati Kahungunu and Samoa. Uh, the Friday is the uh, performing artists of uh, Tai Tokero, uh, Ngati Ranginui, um, and Ngaitahu, and Fiji and Tonga. And uh, the third day is features the, uh, um, the artists of uh, Rarotonga, Tahiti, Tairawhiti. Um, and then uh, we have bring together all our choirs and choral groups. Um, we we are also hosting the the first visit of uh, Kingi to Haitia and Waikato to Ngati Kahungunu uh, on the Thursday, the thirteenth. That we be part of our our pōhiri, uh to Kingi to Haitia, Waikato, and then to the rest of the Motu as well. So Tama, how many people are you expecting? Well. Uh, we're, we're projecting um, 
conservatively about uh, 15,000 15,000 tickets to be sold. And um, yeah, and so that'll be a a daily uh, type of figure uh, of people that we are actually, uh, you know, conservatively estimating. Right. And that's basically ourselves in that lot, <laughs> uh, really. What we're encouraging people to do is to is to really uh, purchase their tickets. Uh, the ticket price is thirty dollars, and that's for the whole period, for, eh? Yeah, that is for the whole period, and and so that, those are the the activities of um, of the Taki Timu Festival, and we just uh, and we're welcoming all people to uh, to come along, and. Um, you know, they don't have to be from the walker, but that's what the, the focus of the festival is. So this is the first time a Takitimu festival has been staged? Yes, it is. This is the inaugural one. So are there plans to make it an annual event? There are plans to make it a biannual event. It is uh, because, of the, um, uh, because of the size of it, really, uh, and involving... And it depends how our... Uh, it depends how, how our discussions go uh, with with the other Takitimu regions, eh? Right. And so we're, we're hoping that um, uh, that it will be. We're looking for it to be biennial, and we're, we're hoping that the other areas will pick it up. Ah, so it can be shared around. So it can be shared around mm-hmm. in those Takitimu regions. Yes. Tamahuata no Ngati Kahunganu. Here's Dean Fanga with the meaning of the Fakatoki as heard earlier in the program. Where we've come from, from Te Kore, Kitapo, Kitao, and where we're going into Te Aumarama. So they, these themes are represented in this house and all our Whakapapa. Join us again next week at Tewi, we're with Nahiwi Apanui and Kyla Russell. He mihiatu tēnei ki ngā kai kōrero katoa me ngā hua mahi i tēnei wiki. Hoki mai anō e tewi, hei tērā wiki, mauri ora tātou katoa. katoa.